Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the Awesome Week 15 matchup show. Jordan Klein surprised me with the Christmas-themed Awesome music. I like the drop there. Uh, a little unexpected here. I'm filling in for Lofi on late notice. He got crushed by the snow, so he's going out there. His wife made him do some, like, snow plowing or something. I don't know. There was a whole explanation, but either way, I'm filling in for Lofi on short notice. Here joined by Matt Savoka, the normal guy joining Lofi on the show. So, Matt, how are you doing? How would the snow hit you? Hey, I got a foot and a half where I am too. So, uh, Lafay, I feel you. But I'm glad that everyone in this household is working from home today, and uh, so it's a little bit easier. Man, it sounds like he's got a lot of work to do out there. Uh, hope you and yours are safe out there. And uh, if you did have to venture out into a snowstorm, stay safe. So we did start a few minutes late, but just because I was jumping in for Lafay, we we're just making that transition over. So let's just get into talking about the games. The first game on the slate. We have the Dallas Cowboys playing against the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, the 49ers actually slight favorite in this game, favored by three points. I find it really hard to trust either of these teams at this point. Neither of them really brought all that much fantasy potential to the table. You know, Zeke Elliott, who was likely going to be one of the top running backs in the league, it seemed like coming into the season, obviously has not been the case. Let, let's start with him on the Cowboys side. What are you doing with Zeke here? And is there any point that you think you could see yourself really heavily investing in him in these last few weeks of the season? I mean, there's a little bit of, I guess, value there because you know you're going to get volume from him. And, you know, he's priced under Amari Cooper at this point. And, you know, at 6,100, if I feel like I'm getting an every down running back, you know, okay, that's fine there. But we're talking about a player who is a name brand at this point, and that's really the only thing he's got going for him. He's 27th among running backs in expected fantasy points, and uh, right inside just the 24th player in fantasy points. Oh, excuse me, 94th. Wow, I got that really long, <laughs> wrong. In fantasy points under expected this year. And so just talk about the... Uh, just such a disappointing year for Zeke Elliott. I don't think he's 100% healthy. And then you're talking about a team in the 49ers who ranked third in the NFL in fantasy points allowed under opponent averages to running backs. So, you know, in my expected projected metrics, expected projection metrics, he comes graded terribly. Uh, even as the 12th highest running back on the main slate in salary, it's just not exciting. I, I guess it could be a contrarian play, but... I'm yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel you there. Um, 
I had Zeke and some best balls. We we're talking about NBA best balls before the show and, <laughs> and NFL. I have to say, I think every player I drafted in the first round of an NFL best ball this year just totally sucked. And Zeke definitely <laughs> among them because I mean, almost all of them got hurt. Even the obvious picks, like if you had the first overall pick, you obviously drafted Christian McCaffrey. He sucked. You had the second overall pick, you probably took Saquon Barkley. He sucked. So th- there was a lot of, there was a lot of minds you had to avoid in best ball drafts. I didn't avoid most Truly. of them. So that was definitely <laughs> the way that, that that went for me. Um, other guys from the Dallas side of the game, I mean, with, with Andy Dalton, at quarterback, it's kind of hard for me to trust too many of the guys in the passing game. The other thing to consider, too, is, you know, we've got 11 games on this slate. We're getting to the point of the season where there's no more bye weeks. So there's a lot of options on the table. I, I don't necessarily think we need to go to the Dallas side. Uh, from the San Francisco side, I'm curious what you think of Brandon Ayuk and the 49ers passing game as a whole, because even though they've taken a little bit of a step back with Nick Mullins at quarterback, the targets have to go somewhere, and it's generally been Ayuk uh, as of late. Debo Samuel's banged up. So last week, 16 targets for Brandon Ayuk, caught 10 of them for 119 yards. Even when Dick Mullen's a quarterback, I like Ayuk quite a bit. How do you feel about him? Yeah, I, I kind of agree there. So Nick Mullins, it, not exciting. He basically grades out as a, an average quarterback in my QB composite metrics, just really an unexciting player at the position. But that's not necessarily terrible if Kyle Shanahan is able to put him in a position to win here. And as you said, the targets have to go somewhere with Debo banged up and with George Kittle returning to practice, but we're certainly not sure he's going to play at all anytime soon. I'm excited about Brandon Ayuk. I think with all the hype going to Justin Jefferson as the, the standout first round wide receiver on the Vikings, I think Brandon Ayuk actually went a little bit uh, under underappreciated for how well he burst onto the scene hyper-athletic, still only 17th in wide receiver salary. And we're talking about a team in the Dallas Cowboys who ranked 32nd, dead last in fantasy points allowed over opponent averages to wide receiver ones. So I think Brandon Ayuk's a great call. The Osmo projections have him inside the top 15 wide receivers. Uh, You're just not going to be alone. It looks like he's about fifth in wide receiver ownership this week. But I love the call. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that he's somebody I'd definitely be considering in cash games. I think let's talk about how George Cato coming back could could impact him because then obviously there's a little bit more targets to go around, uh, at least other people to soak up the targets. If Kittle does end up playing, does that impact how you view Ayuk at all? Of course. I think it's pretty steep if someone as talented and as uh, they use the term in basketball, gravity, someone who just brings so much of the defense to him. Uh, it's something where it gets a little bit riskier to play Ayuk at a salary inside the top wide receive top 20 wide receivers. But again, Dallas is just so terrible to this position. Basically all year long, they've been, they've been struggling. And, you know, some of these running backs on the San Francisco team are banged up too. I don't, we have no guarantee that Raheem Mostert's going to play this week. And, you know, at this point, all of the short area targets need to be filled by somebody. Debo Samuel had that role completely filled. So, uh, yes, there is enough targets to go around for Kittle and Ayuk to both succeed against a terrible defense in the Cowboys. But, yeah, it's a lot riskier, especially when you're dealing with a 6,300 wide receiver. There's a lot of risk involved, and you need over 18, 19 points for him to be a value this week on the main slate. All right, next game on the slate is the Seattle Seahawks taking on the Washington football team. Seattle five-point favorites, Washington uh, underdogs here, total 44 and a half. One thing of interest here that I think makes the game pretty hard to figure out, Alex Smith 
questionable to play. He left with a leg injury. That's obviously always a concern with him. Uh, that was during last week. And if he's out, it looks like Dwayne Haskins is going to be the guy again for Washington. So with that in mind, if Haskins takes over as a starting QB again, what would you make of him? Because I, I really have no re- – I mean, I, I feel like he's bad, right? I think we all do yeah. because he, he was the third-string quarterback at one point, lost his, lost his job to Alex Smith after coming off the devastating leg injury. So it doesn't seem like they think very highly of Haskins at this point. So with that considered, we haven't seen very much of him. I can't think he's going to be very effective, though. Oh, if, if Alex Smith sits for this game – then we want no part of the Washington offense. And we remember what it was like in the beginning of the season where the main problem with the the Washington offense was they had these slight moments of efficiency, but they couldn't string it together into touchdowns, into touchdown drives. And that's why my QB composite metrics, Dwayne Haskins graded out as one of the worst starting quarterbacks we've had this entire season. So even though Terry McLaurin is a little bit enticing as the 13th highest wide receiver in salary this week, if Dwayne Haskins is on the field, I don't even care how bad the Seattle Seahawks are against wide receivers. I just want no part of this passing game. I guess you could go to Logan Thomas, a player who saw uh, multiple games with seven to nine targets with Haskins in the lineup. But mostly I'm only excited about the possibility of this game turning into a small shootout because Alex Smith has quietly been efficient Uh, If you don't count last week when he got injured, you know, he's passed for three yards per attempt last week. So that's a little bit different, but they, you know, NFL research actually tweeted out that in per game statistics, they've actually been a top 10 offense since Alex Smith took over. Now I think that was a little bit uh, stat pick cherry picking, if you will. So I wouldn't put them that high. You're still talking about a team that ranks 27th in adjusted rush rate and middle of the road and adjusted pace. So they don't find themselves in shootouts unless they're playing a team like Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. So one of the ways you could play this in DFS, especially in tournaments, is uh, we didn't see this last week, is a team comes back and tries to stay in the game with the Seattle Seahawks high-flying offense. Also, we should mention that the Washington defense is one of the best teams in the league in expected points allowed per play. So there's no guarantee that Seattle runs up the score. But we're looking for shootout potential here, and there's much, much more with Smith on the field. Yeah, and the other thing, too, uh, bringing up, let's say that Smith plays. And I know that somebody in the chat, I think it was 720 Red Dog, brought up uh, Terry McLaurin as a potential play. Here's the issue I I have with McLaurin is just look at his recent production. Uh, Last week, six targets, caught two of them for 24 24 yards. The year before, the, the week before, six targets, two catches for 14 yards. It's been a while since we've seen Terry McLaurin have a big game. And it's not that he's uber expensive, but he's not cheap either. So, I mean, I look at somebody like Brandon Ayuk, who we talked about, who's in the same price range. There's just other guys that I'd rather roster than Terry McLaurin. The guy who I do think I really like if Alex Smith plays is going to be J.D. McKissick. Because you look at the role that he's had in the passing game for this team, uh, specifically when they're behind in games, it's so many targets going towards him. In in the game against Pittsburgh, uh, 10 targets. He caught 10 of them for 70 yards. Then a loss against the Lions in week 10. He had 15 targets. A loss against the Giants in week 9. He had 14 targets. So I think that's the guy I'd really want as a bring back in stacks would, would be J.D. McKissick just because of all that work he gets in the passing game when they're behind. Another thing also is Antonio Gibson banged up. So mm-hmm. I, I think with all that considered, J.D. McKissick is probably the best pass catching option, even though he's a running back. I do want to offer a little bit of a counter here where I think J.D. McKissick's role is actually better when Antonio Gibson plays. And I know that's counterintuitive, but we 
actually have seen him line up in the slot so often that if he's called to backfield duties, I think he actually becomes slightly less valuable. Now, that doesn't mean he couldn't come out in a, in a game where they're down two touchdowns and Alex Smith or even Dwayne Haskins is just dumping the ball off over and over and over. And I know people who have watched the shows in previous weeks have heard me talk about the stat quality opportunities where we take out everything, all the opportunities for running backs except for targets and goal line rushes inside the 10 yard line. And he grades out as a top five running back McKissick does. So that's what you're finding there. Not only is he getting opportunities uh, that are very unique for the running back position, but he actually benefits from the starting running back being in the lineup because he gets used as a slot receiver. They actually had Steven Sims filling in as that slot receiver role. He played full-time snaps last week. We much prefer McKissick in that passing game role, especially at a running back position. The Osmo projections are still really high on him. That's assuming Alex Smith plays right now. Even as the 16th highest salary running back, which is way up from last week, we still see him as a value at 5,700. So I like it a lot. Yeah, I think the only thing, and not that we have to make the entire show about J.D. McKissick, is Antonio Gibson was out in week 13 for all intents and purposes, right? I mean, Antonio Gibson got hurt, what was it, on the first drive of the game, and McKissick still finished with 10 targets. So I I see your point, but I also don't necessarily think that means that we can't get targets out of J.D. McKissick. I really think what's more important than Gibson being in or out is Washington being down in this game, which seems like it's probably going to likely be the case. Although I'm a little surprised how tight the, the spread is. Yeah, and I think it's a respect to Washington's defense and their front four. Uh, PFF has them graded as one of the best defenses in the league, and so do some of my advanced stats that I put out in the data deep dive. They're they're impressive on defense. All right, and then moving on to the Seattle side of the game. You know, it's funny. We spent so much time at the beginning of the year debating Tyler Lockett week, DK Metcalf week, and you know what we found out as the season went along? There was like two Tyler Lockett weeks, and then every other week is a DK Metcalf week. It's been forever since Tyler Lockett's had, you know, a really quality game. And the other thing that's also pretty funny about Lockett is he's one of the overall top fantasy wideouts, but it's based on him having, you know, two really good games. Yeah. And beyond that, he just hasn't really been a good fantasy asset this season. So is there any point where you think that we get back to Tyler Lockett being a high-end GPP option? Or is this really a case where it's just DK Metcalf is now the number one receiver and Tyler Lockett's a guy who had some good games earlier in the year, but it's just he's a lower priority in that offense at this point. I've also heard some rumblings where Tyler Lockett gets – it's from beat writers around the Seattle Seahawks where they say that once Tyler Lockett isn't a hundred percent, he has trouble separating. He has basically his skill set requires his elite athleticism. And if he doesn't have that because of injuries, just being nicked up at the end of the season, he kind of disappears from games. And so I I can't really, I'm not a great film watcher in that regard. I can't tell if someone's injured when I'm watching. So it might also just be a case of DK Metcalf being extremely talented. And we've, you know, sort of had sticker shock with him for multiple weeks now, seeing Metcalf inside the top five wide receivers in salary. But it's really because of the ceiling that Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf offer you from a week-to-week basis. Now, we just got over talking about how the Washington defense could show up in this game. They've been strong all year. But we're talking about a connection in DK Metcalf and Russell Wilson that sort of rivals the feeling of, Uh, Matt Stafford and Calvin Johnson back in the day. So I I think that is part of it where we're just getting a a stronger connection between Russell Wilson and his emerging number one wide receiver. But I'm still interested in Lockett, even though he has a $6,700 salary right inside that range that we were just talking about. We're talking about a player. Yes, it's propped up by multiple big games and a 
and several small ones, but he's still 15th in expected fantasy points right around his salary-based expectations. And, you know, I think it's going to be a fine contrarian play. You know, actually I'm seeing now he's going to be over 7% owned. That's 13th among wide receivers. That gets me less excited for him this week, but I'm still a believer in general of Tyler Lockett and his talent, especially on this offense. Yeah, I am too. It's uh, in general, I'll say I'm, I'm, I'm still Tyler Lockett believer. Like if the, if, if, if we're saying like is Tyler Lockett washed or, or whatever, like I wouldn't put him in that category. It's more just the point that the production just hasn't been there for him. And if, and like to my point that what I said earlier is if you look at the overall production, it looks good, but it's also because he had one game with 50 fantasy points and the other game with like 45 fantasy points. And then beyond that, he's kind of been trash in terms of a fantasy perspective. So I feel like there's been a lot of weeks where I rostered Tyler Lockett and it was chasing points from games that just don't really exist yeah. all that often. Uh, so I, I think that's more the point where I, I just can't really see myself making an investment in Lockett. And then from the DK Metcalf uh, point, I don't really know that I want to pay all that much for Metcalf. There's other high-end wide receivers that I'd rather roster, and some of them that we'll talk about as, as the show goes on. Uh, how about the Seattle running game? Because this is another spot that's pretty hard to figure out. But Chris Carson, we have seen him get a little bit more work as of late, as per usual, he is on the injury report. It's hard to know what to make of that because I think he's been on the injury report maybe every week so far this season. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how seriously to take that. But you look at his workload in the in the last couple games uh, against the Jets: twelve carries, five targets against the Giants; thirteen carries, six targets. So he's getting more involved than he was uh, a few weeks ago, where he was somebody who's seeing you know sub ten touches per game. So Chris Carson in what could be a somewhat favorable game script if, if we expect Seattle to win. At 6,800, do you think that he's a viable contrarian play? I do, and I I think you said it perfectly there, where you're going to play him because you're leveraging off of the rest of the field, especially in tournaments here. Uh, The Osmo projections actually have him slightly, just slightly under salary-based expectations. But yeah, I think the ceiling is there, especially if we believe that the Seahawks have a little bit trouble running up the score, but they still win the game against Washington. We want to play running backs in those types of situations fundamentally, and we're not completely breaking the bank for at 6,800. He's not the most expensive and not the cheapest running back this week at all. Um, You know, the Washington defense, again, just to bring them up again, they rank third overall in expected points allowed per play uh, defensively and they are seventh in the league against running back ones and fantasy points allowed under opponent average. So it doesn't look like a great matchup on paper, but again, fundamentally believing in the Seahawks to win this game or control the pace of the game. I think Carson is a fine contrarian play. I like it a lot. Yeah. The other thing too, is, I mean, we have those comments from Pete Carroll a couple of weeks ago where he said, Hey, we want to get back to being a running team. It hasn't really been the case so far, but while uh, Seattle's also played in, you know, a lot, a lot of games that are kind of closer than expected. So I do wonder is there going to be a point where we just see this team take a significant lead like they did last week against the Jets? And that's one that I think is almost an outlier because it was such a significant lead to the point where Russell Wilson came out of the game. But I do right. wonder if, 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 if we see this team in a, in a game where they're leading by, you know, 10 points or something in the fourth quarter, do we just see them grind out the clock and run the ball more with Chris Carson? That's kind of something I have in the back of my mind because of the comments that were made by Pete Carroll from a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I like that call a lot. And again, I've said it eight times already on the show, but we're dealing with a defense that is better than the Washington record overall. So their record implies they're not a very good team. And that's true overall, but that defense is really strong. They actually have a positive point differential. It's plus 12 over the course of the year. We don't see that with a with a six and seven team. I guess they're technically in first place playing for a lot, but 
yeah, uh, like you said, we we really all publicly think that the Seahawks are in a completely different category. And if we think that they control the game, we like their starting running back, especially if he's getting healthier. All right. The next game we have here is the Chicago Bears playing at the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings favored by three points, 47 point total. I think where we have to start with this game is on David Montgomery. He was he was an uber chalk play last week. I was not really on him. I was significantly underweight to the field. I pivoted to some other guys who played decently, like Ronald Jones and Mike Davis, but they weren't quite David Montgomery. But with that said, I mean, I look at David Montgomery this week, coming off a week where as good as he was last week in terms of an efficiency standpoint, averaged 10.3 yards per carry, first carry of the game, 80-yard touchdown. He ends up finishing the game with, what was it, 11 carries? Uh, I just had this up and then brought it. Yeah, 11 carries. That's what makes it really hard for me to figure out David Montgomery because he's a guy who's been very inefficient for basically his entire career until the last three weeks. All of a sudden he becomes a chalk play and he's just smashing every week. But I still look at the 11 carries and it's so hard for me to give him a a significant projection. So what do you think his workload is going to look like this week? Yeah, so I I usually look at fantasy expected fantasy points as a measure of volume, right? Because if they're getting a goal line carry, it's obviously more valuable than – just a regular carry from their own 20 yard line. But I also want that to come, come out in the wash, if you will. Like I don't want them to get credit for a full touchdown just because they got it on that particular play. So we're talking about a running back now who ranks seventh in expected fantasy points and is seventh in overall salary amongst active running backs this week on the main slate. So we're talking about a player who was fundamentally underpriced based on the volume he was seeing. And now is in my opinion, somewhat fairly priced but you're right if we're seeing a variance in touches like that and we're seeing the bears abandon david montgomery even in situations where they might not necessarily have to then there's absolutely more risk involved especially when you're talking about a top 10 running back in salary he's seven thousand on the main slate on DraftKings, and that means you need over 20 points to really feel good about him on your lineup I, I agreed with you last week. I thought it was points chasey to, to go back to Montgomery. And now I'm sort of questioning things. We're, we're dealing with a player who, in terms of uh, total yards, you know, he's a top 15 running back this year. So, uh, yes, I agree with the perception of him as sort of a plotter who is overdrafted. But, you know, now we're talking about a player who's performed uh, over expected. He's almost two points per game over expected. That's 11th among running backs. You know, we're not talking about a bad player. We're talking about an efficient running back who uh, I guess has volume concerns more than we thought. So uh, definitely some risk there, but I don't hate it. Even at 9% ownership expected this week. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to be on. I mean, there's, I, I, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, it's the price has gotten up there. The 11 carries we've seen him get exactly 11 carries in two of the last three weeks. And they were both games where he was crushing in terms of yards per carry uh, week 12 against the Packers, 9.4 yards per carry, 11 carries. Then last week against Texans. And maybe that's part of the game script too. They were up by so many points that maybe right. they just didn't want to run Montgomery into the ground, but still over 10 yards per carry and only 11 rushing attempts. I'm just a little concerned there that if he only gets 11 rushing attempts, and don't forget too, this is a guy who's been massively inefficient his entire career until three weeks ago. He was under, he was under four and a half yards per carry in, I think it was six consecutive games before three weeks ago. And I think that's also what's hard for me to figure out is what's the true value of David Montgomery in terms of him being an efficient runner. And I'm just not sure. I'm not sure if the last three games mean that he's a different player. If the bears are doing something different, maybe it has something to do with Trubisky taking over a quarterback. 
I just don't totally know what to make of it, but I look at the price range and there's guys like Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, uh, DeAndre Swift, who are all in this price range that I think make for better plays than David Montgomery. There's enough options that I'm not going to be on him. With that said, I, I've been on the wrong side of Montgomery the last few weeks. Eventually, <laughs> eventually so either I'm going to keep getting it wrong or eventually I'm going to be right. One of the I think it's funny that you happen. named a bunch of hype day two running back picks, which David Montgomery was when he came yeah. out. But, uh, you know, I completely see where you're coming from. You know, over the last five weeks, though, you're talking about a top three running back in terms of total yards over the last eight weeks. I know he was injured for a point there. You're talking about a top 10 running back in total yards. So, yes, he needs efficiency if he's not going to get all the volume, but it's it's a possibility. I think it's not a bad tournament play. And then in terms of the passing game, I'm I'm not a Trubisky guy. I know he played well uh, last week, and it is a favorable matchup against the Vikings. But still, overall, I just don't know how much upside there is in Mitchell Trubisky. I uh, scored 24 fantasy points last week. That's fine. He threw the ball 33 times. That's nice. He's actually thrown the ball uh, 33, 34, and 46 times in his three games since taking back over as the quarterback. Uh, but still, I'm I'm not a, I'm not a believer here. What do you make of the Bears passing game? I. I think Allen Robinson has proved at this point that he can overcome terrible situations yes. at this point. So we always can see if we can fit Allen Robinson into our lineups, especially when he's outside the top five wide receivers and salary 7,400 means you're going to need a 22 point game from him on DraftKings, but it's certainly a possibility. Now, Minnesota has cleaned up their, their secondary a little bit since the beginning of the season. They now rank 20th expected points allowed per play defensively. Yeah, that's not terrible, but it's certainly not great. This was a defense in Minnesota that we were picking on a lot to begin the year, but this is different. This is Allen Robinson. This is a player who has been top 10 in expected fantasy points all year long. And if you just want stability, especially in something like cash games or a small field tournament, I think Allen Robinson is great. Even if you don't really believe in Mitchell Trubisky because the matchup is fine and you're probably going to need to score points to keep up with the Vikings in this game. So um, I, I, again, it's not the most exciting play, but the Osmo projections have him ahead of salary based expectations that always perks my ears up. And Allen Robinson's a super talented player. Never hate having him in my lineup. Yeah, I could get behind Allen Robinson. And just for a point, I was looking this up as you were talking. This is the list of quarterbacks that have thrown a pass Allen Robinson in the NFL. It is Nick Foles, wait. Mitch Trubisky, Blake Bortles, Chase Daniel, Chad Henney, and Brian Walters, who was like a fifth wide receiver for Jaguars <laughs> at one point. That's it. So I always wonder some of these players get just stuck in crappy situations. What would we think of Allen Robinson if he actually ever had a good quarterback throwing something? I know this isn't an original thought. A million people have brought this up. But, I mean, there's a case to be made that Allen Robinson would be thought of as one of the better wide receivers in the NFL had he had, you know, even an above-average quarterback playing with him at some point. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So. Long story short, I agree with you, Allen Robinson, who we actually have scoring the third most fantasy points overall on the slate. Uh, favorable matchup against the Vikings. And despite all these bad quarterbacks coming in and, and throwing to him at different points, he's been pretty good from a fantasy standpoint this year. I was coming off a game where he had 13 targets, nine catches, 123 yards and a touchdown. So I certainly like Allen Robinson. Uh, on the Vikings side of the game now, I think that talking about Dalvin Cook, I know we just kind of do matchup by matchup, but I don't think you could talk about Dalvin Cook without also bringing up Derrick Henry. And the reason being sure. is, is that most lineups, if you're paying up for running back, the decision is going to be, do you want to roster Dalvin Cook or Derrick Henry? Now, initially, when I looked at projections yesterday, I was a big Dalvin Cook guy for the, re- for the week. The reason being is that Dalvin Cook was projected for 5% ownership and Derrick Henry is projected for over 20% ownership. And now we've gotten to a point where it's pretty equal. Both of them are projected for about the same ownership. So with that considered, let's just talk about Dalvin Cook versus Derrick Henry. If you could only roster one of them this week, who are you clicking on? I'm clicking on Derrick Henry. I I don't believe that Detroit, even if they, you know, they are, there's an argument that in the NFL, you really just can't tank because you need to play to win at all times, especially with the injury rate. But this is such a banged up defense and we'll get to them at this at a different point during the show, but it's really a no brainer for me. Detroit's rush defense is just abysmal. And, you know, you, you just heard how confident I am. So maybe that the, if that's a general feeling amongst a lot of fantasy gamers this week, then Dalvin cook becomes an interesting, I'm not playing Derrick Henry play. Uh, but if it's one or the other for me, it's Henry all the way. Yeah, and it, it sucks, too, when, when information changes during the week because I, I published an article 24 hours ago, and I made the case <laughs> for rostering Dalvin Cook because he was so much lower owned than Derrick Henry, and that's just not the case anymore. So now we're kind of getting at a point of who do we think is going to score more fantasy points between the two when the ownership's the same, and that's when I start to lean back towards Derrick Henry, and that's kind of one of those weird things where that's where I weigh ownership a lot when I'm building my lineups on Sunday morning and I'm trying to figure out, all right, this player is going to be X percent owned, what are their odds of making it into an optimal or first place lineup? And to me, I just thought that Derrick Henry was not four times more likely to be in the winning lineup than Dalvin Cook. And now that becomes, and, and, and now that becomes a moot point because they have the same ownership. So now we're looking at it where it's just, who's going to score more fantasy points. And I agree with you. It's, it's going to be Derrick Henry for me. Uh, talking about the passing game now for, for the Minnesota Vikings and maybe not exactly the same situation as like what we've had with the DK Metcalf title locket, but it's not really easy to figure out between Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, which of them is going to be the guy on a week to week basis. So for this week, who do you lean between Jefferson and Thielen? Which of the two do you think has the better matchup? You know, it's funny. I've been riding Justin Jefferson and being overweight on him basically all year long in DFS. And it, it finally got back to me burned me last week, but you know, I just really think we, we're seeing one of the superstars in this league emerge in Justin Jefferson. And, you know, certainly you're going to have to pay the price at this point. He's seventh overall among active wide receivers in, uh, this week in salary with feeling just slightly below him at ninth, ninth among wide receivers. But man, I really think Justin Jefferson is an incredible talent. If you're talking about fantasy points per game over expected fantasy points, which is one of my favorite efficiency metrics. You're talking about a player who's two and a half points per game 
better than expectation and sixth in fantasy points per game. I mean, that's just incredible for a rookie receiver who didn't really become a full-time player until a couple games into the year. So uh, I like Justin Jefferson, especially right now in our ownership projections, he's looking like he's only going to be five to 6% owned. So it's not a fantastic matchup. Uh, looking at the fantasy points allowed under opponent averages, it's uh, a minus 1.1 points per game. That's 12th in the league, but that's really just league average. So if Justin Jefferson is able to have his typical efficiency, I think he could have a huge game. You're going to need a touchdown. You're going to need about 22 points to feel like he was a value. But if I'm leaning one way or the other, I think I go with Jefferson over Thielen a little bit. Yeah, I think I lean with you also. Uh, Adam Thielen, I think, probably has a little bit more touchdown equity. But then I think Justin Jefferson, probably the more big play upside. Uh, I, I have also rostered more of Justin Jefferson this week than Adam Thielen, although part of the reason has also been uh, salary-related because Justin Jefferson's been cheaper than Adam Thielen basically the entire season, which is no longer the case. Now we have Justin Jefferson on DraftKings coming in at $200 more expensive than Adam Thielen. Uh, even so, I think if I have to roster one, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go with Justin Jefferson. Uh, neither of them are going to be core plays for me by any means, but I think that I'm probably going to have a little bit of Justin Jefferson mixed into my lineups this weekend and probably not much, if any, exposure to Adam Thielen. I'll, I'll be higher on Justin Jefferson. Uh, by the way, I don't think I've hawked for likes yet this show. So, guys, do us a favor. <laughs> hit the thumbs up. Like the show. I'm filling in for Laffy. Let him know I did a good job. Like the show. And then also uh, do us a favor. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the notification bell. So whenever we're going live, you could find out right away. Help us help you, and you can get the information as soon as possible. Uh, the next game on the slate, the New England Patriots playing the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins favored by two points, only a 41.5 point total. This is the lowest total of the slate, the game that's expected to be the lowest scoring. I'm not exactly sure how much fantasy potential there's going to be in this game because of that total. I think it could be pretty low scoring. I do find it curious, though, that the Dolphins are only two-point favorites because, to me, they've been vastly better than the Patriots this season. Yeah, well said. And in my matchups column, which I'm which I'm revamping a little bit, I talked about it a little bit last week, but I'm, I'm adding a ton of of data analysis there, but also some writing and some synthesis there. And that's exactly what I noticed. The first section of every matchups column talks about the pass, expected passing and expected pace. And that's a big problem here if you're trying to look for shootout probabilities. Of course, the Patriots, number one in adjusted rush rate this season and number 26 in adjusted pace of play. So they're incredibly slow and they're incredibly run heavy. So what that means is that there's less plays and less explosive plays in most games with the Patriots involved. Now, with the Dolphins, it's slightly better. Not really. They're 25th in adjusted rush rate, which means they're passing more than league average, but they're 25th in adjusted pace. They would prefer to slow the game down for their rookie quarterback and basically not make him run a lot of plays so that he doesn't have to make mistakes. I don't think Tua Tagovailoa is getting enough credit for his quality of play. I know the, the production hasn't been impressive, and they've certainly had situations where they've been able to lean on the run game and winning situations. But I, I thought it was impressive that the Dolphins were able to keep pace with the Chiefs and make that, make that a game last week. And if you look at some of the advanced stats that I bring out in my data deep dive, we're talking about a player who's above average and expected points added and close to league average in one of my favorite efficiency metrics, true drive success rate, which is a sample size adjusted ability to turn drives into touchdowns, the name of the game in fantasy football and in real football. Tagovailoa has a really high ceiling. Now, in this game, 
not incredibly excited. Not incredibly excited about any player at all. I do like the idea of Cam Newton as a slight underdog where you're looking at him at under 3% ownership. If you see a situation where the Patriots kind of shock people, score a little bit more, and actually win this game, then I think he's a great contrarian play. But I think you're right. I think the Dolphins have been significantly better than New England over the course of the season. And yeah, they got walloped by the Rams last week in Cam Akers. So if there's somebody who can emerge from this Miami running game or they can get Miles Gaskin back, that looks exciting too. Yeah, I'm going to talk about one guy from the Patriots side of the game because Jacoby Myers is a guy who I'd fallen into that trap a little bit over the last couple weeks. I know I'm not alone. He's been chalk quite a bit over the last month and has basically not been good in any of those games. <laughs> but with that said, the Patriots, a slate underdog, figure they're going to probably have to throw. And the targets are kind of there for Myers. I mean, the last three games, five targets, six targets, six targets. There's also been a massive drop in his, in his salary on DraftKings. He's now 4,600. This is a guy who was... Uh, what was his price tag a, a few weeks ago? Yeah, it was up to 5500 So we're looking at a $900 price drop in salary. If I have to roster one guy from this game, and this is a game that I'm overall not going to be on, I don't mind having Jacoby Myers thrown into the mix. I actually think our projections right now have him as the second overall best wide receiver on a points-per-dollar basis on DraftKings. Uh, do you agree with that, or do you think that the Jacoby Myers of uh, like week nine against the Jets is a player who's just a flash in the pan that doesn't exist anymore? I don't hate the call. And, you know, if you look at some of the metrics I look at for wide receivers in that data deep dive I just mentioned, I look at a stat called True Weighted Opportunity Share, which is a team-based metric. I mean, it compares your stats to the rest of your team. And Jacoby Myers really, really pops compared to the rest of the NFL. But again, we need to contextualize that for this Patriots offense. He's top three in that stat but on one of the least pass-happy offenses we've seen in a long, long time. Now, I completely understand where the value is coming from, and we're talking about a player who only needs about 13 or 14 points for you to feel like he was of value this week at 4,600. But, again, I really don't necessarily like believing in a passing game that, that I just don't – they don't pass enough. So – Yes, it's possible, but I do feel like we need efficiency and or a touchdown here. We're certainly not going to get enough volume to feel really good about Myers. Yeah, it was just there, there was volume at one point in time. Uh, it, it's just hard to know where that it was because there really was a point where the Patriots passing game was very much built around Jacoby Myers, where he was yeah. a guy who was like for a month. It was like, wow, Jacoby Myers just gets 10 targets every game. And then all of a sudden they just fell off a cliff and never came back. It was it was that game where Jacoby Myers was, I want to say, like 20 plus percent owned. He ended up doing nothing. And then Demir Bird basically just took over the Jacoby Myers role and had like 10 targets and, and scored a million points and ended up winning GPPs that week. So I, I still am chasing Jacoby Myers a little bit from just the standpoint of he got targets at one point. This is a game where the Patriots figure to have to throw the ball and he's also cheap. So I'm going to have some exposure to Jacoby Myers as a value play. I know some people in the chat are also asking about uh, Lynn Bowden from the, from, from the Miami side of the game. As long as Gaskins is out again, I think he's viable. I mean, he's, he's 3,600. He was targeted nine times last week. Also threw a, also threw a pass in there. Uh, how, how do you feel about him and his role in the Miami offense? Uh, I know that Miami prefers, or at least this year has preferred to have one guy sort of carry the load on the Miami backfield, but this is kind of a mess here. I really don't know who to trust. I, I presume you could go, to Lynn Bowden and we're talking about a player who's only 3,600 in salary. So he just needs a middling amount of opportunity and 
and he could be a value this week. But yeah, it's just not an exciting play for me. I, it, I guess, I guess our projections right now do see him as one of the best values on a point per dollar basis. So, you know, if our projections say that, I'm certainly never going to say that's a bad play. But it wasn't the first place that I thought of as, as a really exciting uh, part of this matchup that really popped for me. If he gets all the workload, the bottom line is a running back who's getting a majority of a team's workload in a close game is going to be fundamentally valuable. So if that's Bowden, fire him up at 3,600, one of the best values of the week. Yeah, so let me explain why I'm going to have exposure to him because it is more to do with uh, the actual slate itself than him as a player. Because if I look at cheap wide receivers under 4,000, I don't really know there's anybody I like. Actually, I do know that there's nobody I really like all that much. And there are a lot of high-priced players that I want to get exposure to this week. We've talked about, you know, we touched on Dalvin Cook's on the slate. Derrick Henry's on the slate. Right. And then if you look at the wide receivers on the high end, there's also guys there like Calvin Ridley I like a lot. So I'm going to have to save salary somewhere because there's all these high-priced guys on the slate. And then I try- With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Try to look at cheap plays, and there's no obvious value right now. So look at Lynn Bowden as a guy who got nine targets last week, right? Gaskin is on the, is on the COVID list, so it seems like he's not going to be playing again. So with that considered, and Bowden also, you know, a role that seems to be trending upward, because if you look at him totally being uninvolved in week 13, Four targets last week, nine targets was was pretty effective when he was on the field. And just looking to save salary, I have to say, if I'm not rostering him, who am I rostering, say, the sub-4K wide receiver? And there's nobody else I like. So unless there's some other guy who really ends up standing out, which I'm not sure that's going to be the case, I'm going to end up with a decent amount of exposure to Lynn Bowden. I think that's really fair. I do have concern about things just kind of falling apart for the Miami offense, at least for one week. We've got Jakeem Grant banged up with a hamstring injury. We got Salvin Ahmed practicing on a limited basis from his shoulder injury. You know, if he comes into the mix, he could muddle things up for Bowden. Devontae Parker is a limited participant. Mike Gusecki is not practicing. We're talking about basically all of the primary weapons for Tua Tagovailoa possibly missing this game. And if that's the case, I'm just usually fading an offense entirely like that. Now, getting a running back at 3,600 who's getting a ton of touches, even in a terrible matchup, with a terrible team is someone I might look at. So I completely see what you're saying, but I think there's a possibility where Miami just isn't healthy enough to stick with new England and new England actually sneaks a win here. All right. So maybe that is a little bit more reason to think that you do agree with that, that two point line, because I looked at it and was pretty curious because I do favor Miami to win the game, maybe a little more than the, the line suggests, but maybe you don't. So that might give me some pause when I, actually go about putting my money on the Miami Dolphins this week. 
Uh, we are about halfway through the slate. The next game, and this is where the slate really starts to get interesting because now we start to get what we were talking about before the show as as college football lines because the <laughs> Baltimore Ravens playing the Jacksonville Jaguars favored by what is it, 17 and a half points. Um, I think I put the wrong number in here. Uh, they are favored by uh, 13 points. The total is 47 and a half. I don't know why I did that wrong. Uh, but anyway, that is the spread for this game. So 13 points. What are you making of some of these really widespread games and how are you going about attacking them from a DFS perspective? Well, I've already made the mistake a couple times this year where you forget that in high spread games that go the way that the public expects them to go, the points have to happen before they start running out the clock. And I always go back to, uh, I believe it was Chiefs Jets earlier in the season where just the whole industry seemed to galaxy brain the situation and try to play Le'Veon Bell or, or Clyde Edwards Lair. Bell wasn't there yet. And Patrick Mahomes had a monster game by the end of the first half. And so I think it's a possibility that Lamar Jackson, after a really strong showing on Monday night football, I mean, one of the best games I've ever seen so much drama, but, uh, you know, I think he could absolutely smash in two and a half quarters here against a hapless Jacksonville Jaguars defense. Now, usually it's a situation where we're thinking that they're going to pass, a team is going to pass the ball, run up the score a lot, and then run the ball out. But in the case of the Ravens, we're talking about a team that leans on the run consistently, one of the run heaviest teams in the entire league. Uh, we've seen that for two straight seasons with Jackson at the helm. So, I mean, it's going to be hard to move away from Jackson, wherever he fits in lineups. You're talking about high salary guys that just completely pop off the page. I think Jackson's really, really exciting to, you know, if you look at probability of having one of those slate breaking scores, Jackson really, really lines up well. The Jaguars are 28th in the league in fantasy points allowed over opponent averages to quarterbacks this season. And my expected projection metric comes in easily, easily in the top two here, right next to Mahomes. And uh, I just think there's a huge, huge possibility for upside here at 7,500. I love Jackson this week. Yeah, and you're not alone. He is the only quarterback picking up double-digit ownership right now. So I do think this, if you're paying up for a quarterback in cash games, I think you want it to be Lamar Jackson. Uh, I think that there are some other cheap guys that are also viable that we'll talk about later. Like, I think that Jalen Hurts is still somebody that I, that I would consider in cash games because of the rushing upside. But if you are rostering an expensive quarterback in cash games this week, I think it's Lamar Jackson. There's not even another quarterback that I would make a case for. Uh, the, the spread is maybe a little bit of a concern, but then you have to figure out how are they going to get up. And I think that, that probably has to be from Lamar Jackson. And it's going to be with him running the ball. Basically, all his wide receivers are either out or bad at football. And, or, or some, some oh, of them both. Oh. Because, or, or both. <laughs> because I think there's all kinds of questions about, about how effective Hollywood Brown actually is. And he was just placed on the COVID list yesterday. So it's going to be a game where we probably have to see Lamar Jackson run a lot. And it's something we've seen him do more as of late. Because after he kind of got into a middle part of the season where he didn't run the ball all that much, uh, nine carries, 124 yards, and a pair of touchdowns last week, 13 carries, 13, 11, 13, 16. He's been a guy pretty consistently running the ball a lot. And on the kind of efficiency he has, I, I think that that is definitely the guy to pay up for in cash games. Would you agree with that? If, if you're rostering one QB, say, over the price tag of, 6,500 in cash. Would you go with Lamar Jackson? I guess the only other guy you'd consider would be Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm, I'm going with Lamar Jackson. I completely agree. And anytime we have a player who's second in salary and I see that his median projection still has him as the number one overall player, I don't even care that he's expensive. I want to find a way to play him in all possible situations. And I do want to say also in my day to deep dive, keep bringing it up, but I 
think that Gardner Minshew gives the Jaguars the best opportunity, I won't say to win, but to stay in this game. Uh, Minshew's stats in the advanced metrics categories really grayed out much, much better than Mike Lennon and Jake Lutton. I'm not going to say here that Minshew is an above average quarterback, but he is competent enough to keep them in the game. I'm not running out and betting on the Jaguars against this giant spread here, but I don't think it's the worst situation. And I tell you what, I don't even care what the game flow is. I'm still looking to get James Robinson in my lineups on this other side of the ball because all he's done is produce in situations where he shouldn't if we just fundamentally want running backs in winning situations because all they do is lose in Jacksonville. So I'm completely fine playing running, running games on both sides. I really don't like to play running backs from dueling sides of the ball in the same matchup in the main slate. So I think a great way to run back a Lamar Jackson skinny stack or just Jackson naked is with James Robinson. If you want to attack this game, I think there's a little bit more scoring than the Vegas line implies. Yeah, I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind Robinson from this standpoint. Uh, I understand that he's expensive, but, and, and the se- the 7,100 price tag, but here's where he makes sense. I'm not going to play him by himself. Uh, I'm not going to just have James Robinson lineups where he's not, you know, with Lamar Jackson or, or on an island by himself. But for game stacks, you look at the Jacksonville side of the game and you have to figure out if I'm stacking this game, who do I run it back with Lamar Jackson with? And I'm not sure there's anybody that I want it to be other than James Robinson because he's so game script independent. So if they're ahead, they're going to be running the ball with James Robinson. They're not, they're probably not going to be ahead in this game. So that's, <laughs> that's not really a concern, but if they're behind, they're going to be throwing the ball to him. You look at his targets over the last few weeks, uh, four targets, six targets, six targets. So he's a guy who's probably going to get, you know, four to six targets in a game where they're trailing. So he's going to be on the field no matter what the situation is. And all my lineups in GVP, I basically only make game stacks. And so when I'm making lineups with Lamar Jackson, I need somebody to run back with. It's going to be James Robinson. So it's hard for me to say what I think of him as a play individually because I'm not playing him in that situation. I'm only playing him in game stacks and with Lamar Jackson. I'm probably going to make some sort of group rule like that. Uh, is there anybody else on Jacksonville that you would be willing to run back a stack with? And especially maybe that's influenced now that uh, Gardner Minshew is active. Um, I, I absolutely love that call, by the way. I think that's a really, really great way to go about uh, using strategy to think about James Robinson specifically this week. And I, I really like that call. I think Lavishka Chenault stands out a little bit where he does have a projection this week ahead of salary-based expectations at just 3,800 on the main slate on DraftKings. That's 41st among wide receivers. And against third wide receivers, Baltimore has actually struggled a bit. They've been banged up in the secondary. They're not quite as deep at the cornerback and defensive back position as they typically are. And that's shown here in the fact that they are actually 23rd in the league in fantasy points allowed over opponent averages to wide receiver threes. So, and that's based on DraftKings salary. So that's, that's why we get Chanel as that wide receiver three or categorize him as such. Uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't look really, really exciting, but it looks better than salary. It looks like a value this week for Chanel. So I would also go there, especially if I believe that Minshew actually keeps them in this game. As I said, I might throw a few lineups in that, that have that belief, that anchors around that belief. So the next game on the slate, this is a game where we have a lot of injuries to talk about, a lot of potential value. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing at the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons, six-point favorites, uh, 15.5-point total, so a decent amount of scoring expected. Now, starting with the Tampa Bay side of the game, we have Ronald Jones was just placed on the COVID list. Now, Leonard Fournette was a healthy scratch from last week's game. There's going to be value somewhere in this running back, in this running back uh, 
grouping here because assuming that Ronald Jones is out, I, I figure it's going to be Fournette. The only hesitation would be that he wasn't active last week, so it doesn't seem that they like him all that much. So maybe they go somewhere else. For now, until we hear differently, I think that Leonard Fournette at 4,500 is the best value play at running back this week. He's the running back that I plan on getting the most exposure to as of now, unless we find something different, like maybe Keyshawn Vaughn starts or something weird like that. As of now, I'm going to Fournette. He's the guy that I'm going to have the most exposure to. And he's also not projecting for all that much ownership, even with Ronald Jones out. So Leonard Fournette, what do you make of him? And do you think there's somebody else who could come in and end up stealing those touches? Well, as someone who kind of believed in Keyshawn Vaughn after all, or excuse me, before all of the running back signings in Tampa Bay earlier this offseason, it would be cool to get some game reports uh, on Sunday morning that said that they've actually decided to feature Keyshawn Vaughn. I'm not holding my breath there at all. I completely agree with you about Leonard Fournette, especially if the, the gates sort of just open up for him to have a huge role here. We will definitely still see Shady McCoy involved and active most likely, and we'll still see Vaughn on the field. But I think I agree with you here. 4,500 for a player on a, on a team that's expected to be in a winning situation. Although I will say, I looked at the defensive metrics for the Falcons. Uh, they're not a bad team defensively. PFF actually grades them in team defensive grade ninth overall, and that's way ahead of their offense at 18th. But they still have a positive point differential, which is very rare for a 4-9 team. That said, I still think I believe that Tampa Bay wins this game. We know that they have a very unconsolidated passing offense, and so if we do see a consolidation around the running backs, I think I'm all over it, and right now that looks to be Fournette. You know, it might be a completely different thing on Sunday, but right now it looks really good. Yeah, I mean, the the initial build I did just so I had is some sort of talking points for having a feeling of who I was going to be rostering. I have a lot of Fournette right now, and they're not lineups that I've entered in, but as long as he starts, I, I think he's probably going to be my highest owned running back this week. Just 4,500 for, for a running back in what should be a positive game script, uh, you know, a game where they're favored by nearly a touchdown. I, I think that's a very enticing spot for, for Leonard Fournette. Uh, in terms of the Tampa Bay passing game, what do you make of the wide receivers here? And of the trio, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, is there any of them that you've been making an investment in? If I've been going to one, it's generally been Chris Godwin. But at this point, I'm just kind of staying away from them. It's too hard for me to predict, and I'd rather invest my money elsewhere. Do you have a better read than me where I just say I'm not dealing with it? Or is there one of these guys that you really like? Nope, you've got it perfectly. And I'm trying to get my biases out of it because I keep saying, all right, this is the week where Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown being in a lineup together pays off. And it just keeps not happening. But if I do think that I want to do some stacks with Tom Brady, who, by the way, is sixth in salary, but also, excuse me, seventh in salary on the main slate and seventh in projection. So he's not a bad play at all. It's fine value. I just really don't know who this is going. The passing game is flowing through, I should say. But I will say that Chris Godwin is now below Mike Evans in salary. He's 18th among wide receivers. And we're talking about a team who's 27th in the Falcons in fantasy points allowed over opponent averages to wide receiver twos. So in that situation, I do think that there is some value in Godwin and the projections for on Osmo.com see him as the best value compared to salary expectations this week. But it's thin. It's a thin play. And I'm preferring it in tournaments versus cash games for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's enough wide receivers I like where I'm fine with just staying away from it. It's not like there's been so much upside in those individual wide receivers. You have to roster any of them. So I'd rather not guess. I'll just I'll just go elsewhere to, to make investment. And I think that if I'm going to get exposure to the Buccaneers, 
it's going to be with whoever ends up starting it at running back for them at a, at a cheap price. Uh, getting to the Falcon side of the game, there's also a lot of interest and potential value in their wide receiver situation because we have mm-hmm. Calvin Ridley. He's been limited in practice this week. He's questionable. Julio Jones is yet to practice this week. I assume that he's going to be out. So let's start with this with this scenario. If Julio Jones is out and Calvin Ridley plays, then what do you make of Calvin Ridley and where would you rank him amongst wide receivers? Because to me, he would be my number one overall wide receiver on the slate if that would be the case. Wow. So we're going to have some difference of opinion here. I really stay away from the Atlanta Falcons offense when they don't have Julio Jones on the field. I, maybe this is a little bit of my biases about Calvin Ridley. And he certainly had a point of the year where he was the number one overall receiver. And so we know that he has a number one overall wide receiver on the slate upside. So I'm not going to disagree with you there. If you just look at the points per game split uh, splits, the yards per game splits with Matt Ryan, with Julio Jones off the field over the last two years, it's a stark difference. And as I was mentioning before, if you look at the PFF grades, it's the offense that's holding this team down this year. Uh, we did see a blow up game from Calvin Ridley last week and Russell Gage was a solid value play too. So I, I completely understand we're dealing with a first-round talent. We're talking about a first-round talent in Ridley who, again, has huge upside. I just don't see it as a great, great call this week against a Tampa Bay defense that has been strong against the opposing pass games all year long. Yeah, well, I mean, they were better against the pass earlier in the season, and they've become more of a funnel defense as of late, where they're really good against the run and teams have to throw against them. And then we have to consider, even though I accidentally gave Jordan uh, bad information and put the run sheet in wrong, where I I list the wrong team as the favorite, uh, the the Buccaneers are favored by nearly a touchdown this game. So with that considered, we're going to have the Falcons probably looking to throw the ball a lot in this game against the defense that we've generally seen funnel the ball towards the pass. And then we've got Julio Jones, I'm assuming out as of now, and Calvin Ridley's targets the last few games, nine targets, nine targets, 10 targets, 12 targets. And then last week without Julio Jones, that was 12 targets for eight receptions, 124 yards and a touchdown. I just think that there's so much upside there in Ridley that he's going to be the high-priced wide receiver that I want to hitch my wagon to. And if you look at the ownership right now, it's pretty flat at the top. We've got Hopkins, Ridley, Tyree Kill. These guys are all coming in at about the same ownership. And then I'm just saying like, all right, who is the one guy that I'm most confident in? And it's going to be Calvin Ridley without Julio Jones because I think he's going to pick up more targets. Now, with that said, Calvin Ridley is also questionable right now. So we have to talk about the scenario. <laughs> what happens if Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones are both out? Then who becomes the value play? To me, in that situation, we have Russell Gage becoming one of the top overall value plays on the slate. Like you said, he played pretty well last week. He's at a cheap price. And if, if you're going to get targets from him, you know, in the 8 to 10 range at a sub 5K salary – he would be somebody that I definitely want to build around. So is there any other cheap wide receivers that stand out to you in the case that Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones are both out? Oh, well, I guess we'll start talking about Brandon Powell or Al- Alamani Zacchaeus again. And, uh, or, or he actually might still be injured. I know he left with injury earlier, uh, a couple weeks ago, actually. But I actually think that if we see a situation where the top two wideouts for Matt Ryan this, uh, this year are not in the game, I'm just not playing the Falcons. And I might have some uh, Buccaneers onslaught rosters, but I would just have no interest, to be honest. Yeah. uh, And how about like Zacchaeus or any of those guys? I mean, we've seen him step up. And the other thing that's, that's weird about him is he's oddly had big games when nobody was expecting it. And there's been spots where he was, actually chalk and didn't do anything. So any of these peripheral wideouts that you'd think would, would warrant exposure to. 
Yeah, I guess in that scenario, Russell Gage as the 26th wide receiver in salary would be fine. And if you're talking about fantasy points allowed over opponent averages, uh, the fa- the Buccaneers, as you said, have actually struggled over the last five weeks. They're 25th against wide receiver ones and 19th against wide receiver twos. So if you're looking at eight to 10 targets on a team that struggles against primary and secondary wide receivers, I do see the value there. I, I completely get where you're coming from, but it might also be a situation, especially uh, let's talk about the scenario where Jones doesn't play, but Ridley does. We're talking about a player who's probably going to be top two in ownership. So I might take a stand and just say he's the fate of the week for me. Okay. Well, we're going to be on different sides of that then. One of us will be right. One of us will be wrong. Or maybe (laughs) somewhere in the middle, middle, we'll just kind of play okay. And it'll be, all right, I'm kind of happy I rostered him. You're okay with having not rostered him. Uh, In terms of the Falcons running game, uh, I've had oddly a lot of people ask me about Todd Gurley over, over the last few weeks. Here's the issue I had with him. There's just not nearly enough volume there i mean i i don't know if he's totally washed or if he's dealing with injuries right now but eight carries eight carries six carries uh this shouldn't really be a hot take but against the buccaneers he's a pretty easy player for me to fade at 4700 the only reason i bring it up is because i feel like every show i've done over the last few weeks somebody says i don't you have to roster todd Gurley at such a cheap price and no i don't think you have to no exactly right and again we're using expected fantasy points as a great catch-all metric for volume of a player. And I'm seeing exactly what you're seeing here. We're, we're talking about a player who's 35th in expected fantasy points and 28th in salary. Um, it's 33rd in points per game and 28th in salary, unless you're talking about a player who suddenly got healthier or we know because of injury or, or personnel changes, we're, we're going to see a, a lot more volume. Just not exciting. I will give him props and say that uh, in the data deep dive where I show I graph out the elusiveness of running backs compared to historical running backs from 2015 to 19. Gurley actually does grade out positively well above the trend line, but that's not enough for me to get excited about him, especially in a team in the Buccaneers, who, like you said, they've kind of turned into a defense that has completely stopped the run. They rank uh, second in the league in fantasy points allowed under opponent averages to running backs. All right, next game on the slate, and this is another one of these games with a wide spread. We talked about Derrick Henry a little bit earlier in the show just in relation to Dalvin Cook, but the Tennessee Titans favored by 11 points playing against the Detroit Lions, 51.5 point total. So I I think that there's not too much to talk about with Derrick Henry here just because we're both going to agree that he's a very good play, right? Like I I don't really think that there's that much you need to talk about here. But here's where I think there is an interesting situation to talk about. In terms of a leverage play, how willing would you be to make lineups where you don't roster Derrick Henry, but you roster, say, Ryan Tannehill and one of the pass catchers on the Titans? Do you think that's a viable leverage spot for this week to get off some of the Derrick Henry ownership? I do. What makes it difficult is A.J. Brown's salary is still inordinately high. I know he's talented. I know he scores touchdowns. I believe in the player overall but I struggle with him as the fifth highest salary wide receiver where I struggle much less with Henry as the second highest salary running back. And, you know, Corey Davis has had a tremendous season, really, really came on strong, especially in the second half of the year. He now now ranks 19th among wide receivers and expected fantasy points, but that's right where his salary is at 19th among wide receivers. So the hard part is, is are you playing expensive Derrick Henry or are you paying expensive stack that has less probability of hitting than Derrick Henry. Could it happen? Could Derrick Henry have a bad game and be a a strong fade this week? I mean, yes, of course, but we're talking about a a game 
where the Lions are completely banged up offensively and they have not been able to stop the run at all defensively all year. So as I said at the beginning of the show, it's just so incredibly hard to move away from Derrick Henry as the highest ceiling player of the week. That said, I love the leverage idea. I think as a game theory thought, as a strategy pick, I think it's a great idea. Ryan Tannehill has been pretty strong again, especially when you look at fantasy points per game above expected. He's a top 10, actually top six player in the league. But again, he's sixth in salary and ninth in fantasy points per game. So it's a middle of the road matchup defensively for him. It's not as exciting as Derrick Henry against the Lions. That's the bottom line. It's a game theory play for me to do the passing stack only. All right, so Derrick Henry, play him in cash games. For GPP, though, here's a, here's a stack I actually like. It's going to be Ryan Tannehill to Jonu Smith. And it's we look at the price tag on Jonu Smith, 3700 I looked at Corey Davis, and like you said, 5800 I think is about a fair price tag for him. But here's a couple reasons why I think the, the Jonu Smith play works as leverage against Derrick Henry's stack with Ryan Tannehill. For one, Jonu Smith is a guy who could get targets in the red zone. So I think it stands to reason that if Jonu Smith has a big game and scores a touchdown or two touchdowns even, which is possible, how many times this year have we seen a slate broken by, you know, a lower tier cheap tight end score a pair of touchdowns, right? Jonu Smith could be that guy who scores two touchdowns. And if that happens to be the case, it probably means Derrick Henry doesn't find the end zone. So Ryan Tannehill to Jonu Smith, I think makes some sense. Jonu Smith's also cheap this week at 3,700. The other thing to consider also, the tight end position is really difficult to fill. So if you're trying to find a way that how can I get upside out of the tight end position and i think you roster somebody like john smith number one is leverage and then number two is a cheap play with a little bit upside i think that's where i'd go but i'm not going to say i think that is where i want to go as leverage off of derrick henry i'm still getting exposure to derrick henry but in terms of how i'm going to make lineups that don't have him in i think that the ryan tannell the johnny smith stack makes sense i i love that call and yes there's downside there it's a 3700 salary running or excuse me tight end there's a lot that could go wrong there. But, you know, we're talking about a player in Johnny Smith who's third at the position in touchdowns per game. And I know he doesn't have the volume that some of these other uh, high-end tight ends do, like Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey. We're not putting him in that category. But name of the game, low-priced tight ends, all we want is a touchdown. And that's what he's been doing this year. So I think that's a great call, even as the ninth-highest salary tight end this week. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, that, that I made a point to was just look at the tight end position. And Travis Kelsey, yeah, if you want to pay up for Travis Kelsey, that makes a whole lot of sense. But he's 8000 That is so expensive for a tight end. And then you start to look down the, the rest of the tight ends there. You know, we don't have Darren Waller on the slate. We don't have, you know, George Kittle in all likelihood. It looks like he's not going to play. So then you have the, the next highest priced tight end, and the guy we have the, the next highest exposure to is Mark Andrews. And Mark Andrews has been crazy and consistent this year because Lamar Jackson doesn't throw the ball all that much. So I'm just thinking of what tight ends do I really want to roster other than Travis Kelsey? And the answer is none of them. So that's where then I start to look at like John O. Smith, just where it kind of makes sense because it's a position where I don't know who I want to roster there. And there's reason to think that if he plays well, it takes away from one of the higher owned players on the slate. But the tight end position is thin this week. It, it is sure. It is so it's thin every week. <laughs> yeah. Just don't get, don't just try not to rage when Anthony Furkser, Michael Pruitt, or Jeff Swaim score because the Titans love to use their auxiliary big men in the red zone. And uh, I hope you're right with Smith. I think that's a great call. But <laughs> I've seen, I've seen some weeks where the uh, the third tight end is scoring for the Titans. They do some wacky things down the red zone. 
Yeah, and sometimes it's all fumble recoveries because I'm pretty sure that was I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that was Pruitt who had a touchdown a couple weeks ago where he recovered an AJ Brown fumble on the one yep. yard line and jumped on it in the end zone. So, yeah, it, it's going to be a tough position. I've been calling it the tight end spot a lot this this year, the, the spray and pray position, where I'll just cap ownership at like ten percent for a lot of players, and it's just I get a bunch of spread out exposure. Uh, I don't want to get too far ahead, but somebody in the chat said that you have to roster Travis Kelsey this week. I've had Kelsey as my highest tight end more often than not this year. The only issue I have with them is the 8,000 salary. So think about the opportunity cost of rostering Travis Kelsey this week. And we'll talk about him a little bit more when we get into the Chiefs game. But I think it's relevant just because he came up in the chat and I was talking about Jonu Smith. Is that an 8,000 price tag, the opportunity cost of rostering Travis Kelsey, it probably means you aren't rostering one of Dalvin Cook or Derrick Henry. It probably means that you're not able to roster somebody like Calvin Ridley, who I like, or whatever the high-priced wide receiver that Matt ends up liking. And you have to ask yourself, is Travis Kelsey the most likely player to end up in the optimal lineup over the 8000 price tag? And I'm not sure that's the case, because now you actually have to start to compare his output to players like Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry, because he's in that same price tier. So that's, that's something that really leads me onto some of these cheaper tight ends. Yeah, I think that's well said. I'm probably... Cash games is a different story, but again, like you said... If I can't have my stability at running back because I, we don't see a lot of chalk values at low prices, then it's going to be really hard to fit Kelsey in with those high-value, high-end running backs as well. In tournaments, though, if I can stack him with Mahomes, if I can find a way to use salary saver options everywhere else and get Mahomes and Hill, we'll get there in a minute. But the upside is just out of this world compared to basically every other player. If you look at our top stacks tool on awesomeo.com and compare the top stack probability of Mahomes and his top pass catchers versus everybody else, it's a joke. It's almost double the probability most weeks. So we just can't leave that out. He truly is a great play. But the price, the, the strategy that you're thinking about, where you're comparing him to these slate-breaking possibilities of Dalvin Cook or Derrick Henry, that's really important to talk about. All right. The next game on the slate, we have the Indianapolis Colts favored by seven points over the Houston Texans. Uh, pretty substantial 51-point total. I think where we have to start here is with Jonathan Taylor. This is a very favorable matchup against the Houston Texans. We also have a favorable game script. And the workload for, for Jonathan Taylor finally looks like it's on the upswing. It was really inconsistent earlier in the year. It was hard to figure out whether it was going to be him or Naheem Hines on a week-to-week basis. Jonathan Taylor's here. And so earlier in the, in the, in the show when we talked about David Montgomery, I said one of the reasons I don't like him is because I like other players in that same price range. And one of those guys I was definitely talking about was Jonathan Taylor. Last week, 20 carries for 150 yards and a pair of touchdowns. He's also getting passing game work. So we're talking about a guy who's getting right around 20 touches per week in a very very favorable matchup, also a positive game script. So are you with me on Jonathan Taylor this week, or are you looking at some of these other, as you call them, day two running backs that, that were maybe <laughs> a little overhyped when they first entered the league? Hey, and we just uh, we actually glossed over one. I want to say I'm into DeAndre Swift, too, on that other side of the ball in the Detroit-Tennessee game. I think he's a solid value play, and he's pretty much the only one I like. Now, onto this game, I'm in on Jonathan Taylor. I'm I, <laughs> The dynasty fantasy football player in me is thrilled that we're finally seeing Jonathan Taylor turn into the player that we thought he could be coming out of Wisconsin. Just an absolute monster in his final years there. So we're talking about a player who's fifth in salary. We're talking about a player who needs 21 to 22 points to be a value. But we're finally talking about the amount of volume going to him that we believe he should have. He's eighth now in expected fantasy points, and that's using whole year averages. So that includes all the weeks where he wasn't getting that volume. 
That's really, really impressive to see. And now we're talking about a player who's third in fantasy points per game over expectation. It's almost two, almost three points over expected per game now. So if we said at the beginning of the season that Jonathan Taylor was going to have top 10 expected fantasy points and top five fantasy points over expectation, all of us who drafted him and lost a few games in the beginning of the year uh, would be thrilled to see that. So I'm absolutely in on Jonathan Taylor. I'm never going to discount or discredit Naheem Hines as a solid play, especially in tournaments. We know Phillip Rivers loves to target running backs, and Naheem Hines isn't going away, but all over Jonathan Taylor. He's got a fantastic matchup, especially with the Texans giving up seven points more than running back one's opponent averages this season. That's 31st in the league, so it's a great matchup too. And now on the Colts side, we also have to talk about T.Y. Hilton. Looked totally washed for most of the season. Then out of nowhere, like the Undertaker coming out of coming out of the casket in the in the in the gif all of a sudden, we've got T.Y. Hilton scored touchdowns in three consecutive weeks. The last two games, seven targets, eleven targets. T.Y. Hilton all of a sudden he has risen from the dead. He is relevant all of a sudden. Do you buy into it, or, or are we are we burying him again? Uh, well, let's not bury him. I mean, let's give credit to the player that. I don't know if he was hurt. He just didn't have, maybe it was bad luck. Maybe it just wasn't sync with a new quarterback, but he looked washed. He was done. And now we're talking about a player. Again, I'm going to bring up the same efficiency stat. He's six in fantasy points per game over expected fantasy points. Now from a volume standpoint, he's moved out of that top tier. He's 24th in expected fantasy points, which makes his salary as the 21st highest salary wide receiver a little bit steep. And like you said, he's needed to get these huge scores with touchdowns, as they typically do for wide receivers. It's not out of the question here. We saw him blow up in week 13 against this same exact defense. But I don't, I don't love it. I don't love it as much as I did before he popped for a few weeks in a row. I think he's going to be much more popular. He looks like the 16th most popular wide receiver at this point in our ownership projections. At 5,500, I don't hate it. I don't love it. He just is there are more exciting plays for me at the wide receiver position. I'll say that. So here's the issue I have with T.Y. Hilton, and it's, it's like you said about the price point, is he's more expensive than Russell Gage, who is also a player we have projected to score more fantasy points. And also, like I said, there's a bunch of guys who I, I like that are expensive this week, which is a point I have to keep going to, because a lot of my lineups are going to end up being stars and scrubs builds. And when that happens, some of these guys who are in the mid-type price range they just end up in no man's land and they don't make it into my lineups just by that nature. So the other thing also is on the other side of the game, we have Kiki Kuti, who's somebody else who I think we have to talk about from the same game because he's less expensive than, uh, than T.Y. Hilton and is also a guy who I think given this game script is probably somebody who's going to have to get a decent amount of volume. I know it wasn't really there for him last week, although he did score a touchdown, but two weeks ago he had eight receptions on nine targets for 144 for 141 yards. We've got Brandon Cooks who's banged up right now. So with that considered, I think those are two players we kind of have to compare. If you have to roster T.Y. Hilton or Kiki Kuti, who is it going to be? Because for me, it's Kuti. Yeah, I agree. And the Osmo projections certainly really, really like him compared to his salary-based expectations. And we've seen, if you watch press conferences, even leading, even before Will Fuller was suspended for the remainder of the season, Deshaun Watson loves Kiki Kuti, and he really believes in the talent. And he's talked about multiple times press conferences. And at this point, uh, I said this on a previous matchup show, I believe it was the first one after Fuller's suspension, that I'm not exactly sure that Brandon Cooks, even when healthy, can truly be that primary alpha wide receiver 
that his first round draft capital sort of expected him to be. He's better as a secondary burner, as a flanker on the outside. And that means they're going to need somebody over the middle to just be that chain mover for Houston over the course of the season. And Will Fuller was doing everything for this passing game. So I think Kiki Kuti could have a monster finish to the season. It's not a fantastic matchup. The Colts are a strong defense. Uh, it looks like they're top 12 against top wide receivers and fantasy points allowed under expectation. So it's not a perfect matchup, but if you think that the volume, if you're going to be Deshaun Watson's primary wide receiver and Deshaun Watson is expected to keep a game close, I'm all in. I'm, I'm just completely fine. You're not going to be alone, but it looks like just 6% ownership. That's 18th among wide receivers. It's not even that popular. I love that call. Yeah, so the other thing, too, is, I mean, we, we look at the overall projection we have for him, and he's projected for, you know, points in the same neighborhood as guys like A.J. Brown, Michael Thomas, uh, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and our projections, but he's vastly less expensive than those guys. And then to your point also about the ownership, not projecting for that much ownership at only 6.2%. So all I considered Kiki Kuti is, is the guy in this price range that I do like. That's one of the other things that has me off of T.Y. Hilton. Uh, something else also that somebody brought up in the chat is they asked, well, what about Michael Pittman? And here's the issue I have with Pittman is with T.Y. Hilton now all of a sudden becoming relevant again, Pittman hasn't really been producing all that much. I mean, if you look at Pittman, uh, two catches last week, he had five the week before, then two catches, three targets in the weeks before that. He had a, a, a brief period of time where it looked like he was going to break out. I, I don't really think that's happening right now. There's so many other guys on the Colts that I like more than Michael Pittman. Do you feel differently or, or are you, are you off of Pittman also? I think there is some upside in Pittman. You know, if you look at his uh, opportunity totals from week 10 on nine targets, three targets, nine targets, five targets, six targets. So yes, you're seeing some variance there. And if you look at overall, uh, expected fantasy points per game. He's still outside the top 40 wide receivers. The other problem here, and we've seen this issue from Phillip Rivers basically all season, it's not really a problem, but it is for fantasy players, is they have a very unconsolidated, non-consolidated passing game compared to the rest of the league. They actually rank dead last. If you look at the weighted opportunity of their top two wide receivers and then see how, add that up and compare that to the rest of the league, they're dead last. And if you take their top three wide receivers in weighted opportunity, they're dead last again. So that means that we don't have a lot of certainty about where this volume is going, and that's showing up in Pittman's target totals. So could it be a Pittman week uh, against the Houston defense that has struggled basically all year? And one thing I will say is that one of the reasons that T.Y. Hilton went off in this matchup in week 13 is that they lined up Vernon Hargraves in man coverage against Hilton, and Hilton just burned him over and over and over again. We have no guarantee that the Texans will make that mistake again. And that could mean that Pittman has some contrarian upside here. He doesn't pop off the page, but the matchup is good. And if he gets the volume, his wide receiver 25 salary could absolutely pay off. You only need about a 15-point game for him to, to be a value. So that's a few catches and a touchdown. It's definitely a possibility. And then the tight ends, I think we have to bring up Jordan Akins, particularly if Brandon Cooks is out. Just the targets have to go somewhere for the Houston Texans. Uh, Will Fuller, who's suspended for the rest of the year. Brandon Cooks, who is questionable to play, hasn't been practicing this week. So if Jordan Aikens, 2,800, is is out there with those guys uh, going to be out, then I think that Aikens is something we have to consider because he's, his price tag is really cheap 
and it's just the targets have to go somewhere. Now, Jordan Aikens could have had a decent game last week if he didn't have one of the worst drops I've ever seen. I'm because- so <laughs> mad about it, Greg. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a ball perfectly thrown right to his chest. There's nobody within 20 yards of him, and he just he just whiffs on it. Lost it so, in the sun? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and it's, it's, more, it's more a thing also of the price and just who else are you going to roster at tight end. The position sucks this week. So at 2,800s, I, I, I definitely think that Aikens is, is a viable target. A hundred percent. And if you, uh, if you have access to the big board, I, I didn't check this morning, so it may be updated, but at least as of yesterday, he was number one on the DraftKings big board on awesome.com. So that just gives you an idea of just the tremendous volume that we think Aikens should get. Uh, if he had that touchdown, I would have made a lot more money last week. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, is I think that would have changed his ownership a ton also, because his his price tag is only twenty eight hundred. He's coming in at sub ten percent ownership, and I think that if people were looking at his box score and saw that he scored, you know, thirteen or whatever would have been fourteen fantasy points instead of the five he scored, if if he would have caught that touchdown, then I think his box scores look way better. But then I think without that, people are just looking at Jordan Aikens and being like, oh, he didn't really benefit from from Cooks and Fuller being out. I don't think that's the case. He got six targets. That is the most he's had since week two. And I don't really think Jordan Akins is that bad, despite how bad that one individual play did make yeah. <laughs> No, I think that's a great point. And we're still talking about Deshaun Watson, one of Deshaun Watson's primary receivers, possibly, in a game where it's a solid matchup and it's a 2,800 salary player. So we're not talking about taking a huge risk. You know, we're needing eight to nine points for him to feel like a value for us. I think Akins is fine, especially with that volume he started to receive. Absolutely. All right. Next game, probably my favorite one to talk about on the slate because it is a Jalen Hurts game. We have the Philadelphia Eagles playing the Arizona Cardinals, uh, 49 point total Cardinals favored by six points. I thought Jalen Hurts looked pretty solid last week, particularly from a fantasy standpoint. And here's why it's just the rushing volume. If he's a guy who's not only able to run the football, but willing to, he carried the ball 18 times last week. That that's going to bring so much fantasy production from the quarterback position. I didn't understand why his ownership was so low last week. I generally had a crappy week last week, except the one thing I got right was Jalen Hurts. So I'm hanging my hat on that is Jalen Hurts. Nice. I'm, going right, I'm, I'm going right back to him at, at a cheap price tag, that kind of rushing upside uh, a game also where he's probably gonna have to have the ball in his hands a lot because the Eagles are, are, you know, touchdown underdogs. I'm going right back to Jalen Hurts. We have him projected as the fifth highest scoring fantasy quarterback this week. And Still no ownership, cheap price tag. Everything lines up for me to really like Jalen Hurts. Oh, I completely agree. And we talk about the Konami code, that quarterback rushing upside, as you mentioned. I mean, we're talking about a player in Jalen Hurts who led the league in scramble rush yards last week, but was only eighth in scrambles. What he did lead the league in last week was designed rushes for him. So we're talking about a Philadelphia offense that is clearly – molding itself around the talent of their new quarterback. And it might have to do with the fact that he may not be as familiar with the offense. He might not be able to progress through his reads quite as often, but that's not necessarily a problem for us as fantasy gamers, especially if we're seeing that rushing upside. So while the salary remains low, while it's not completely saturated in terms of ownership, I completely agree with you here. A lot of people are going to be on the rushing upside of Kyler Murray, but it is equal by Jalen Hurts, no doubt about it. Yeah, and I think that's something else is I mean we compare the we compare the two. Kyler Murray is projected to be somewhat chalky this week, and we actually don't have a significant 
difference in in projection relative to salary for Hertz and Murray. Right. Uh, Hertz comes out as as the slightly better per dollar play. I don't know. I think people are just sleeping on Jalen Hurts. And even going into last week, it wasn't, and I'm still not sold. Like, I don't know what Jalen Hurts is going to be long-term, but the one thing I know he is willing to do is run the football. And we know that that is the cheat code for quarterback scoring fantasy points is ones that run the football are the guys that have the most upside and have the ability to have some of these big games. And at this cheap price, like I said, no ownership. I, I think that he's the best GPV play at the quarterback position. Yeah, I love that call. And I, I might even play him in cash if we're trying to get some multiple of those high price, high value skill position players that we've been talking about all episode long. And, you know, Miles Sanders had a great game last week. It was nice to see him bust a long run and against the, the Saints of all teams who have been fantastic against opposing running backs. But I completely agree here. I like Hertz much more than I like Hertz as a stack. And, you know, we've been talking about Kyler Murray as this player. You could just play naked. Don't even worry about the rest of his receiving core and just get the rushing upside. It's officially on for Jalen Hurts as well. And, I mean, I'm surprised by this, to be honest, that we're seeing 4 to 5% expected ownership. I thought that was going to be much higher. I suppose it's because he's 11 in quarterback salary, which is, you know, might be jumping the gun a little bit. But again, we said it over and over this segment. Rushing upside is the name of the game here. It changes fantasy uh, point scoring entirely here. And it's not like we're really excited to play any of these receiving game options. I mean, looking at the awesome projection compared to salary-based expectations, Jalen Rager looks like one of the worst values in our um, median projections. Travis Fulgham as well. Uh, maybe you go with Dallas Goddard here. But the most exciting player on this offense Unless you're talking about Miles Sanders and going contrarian, it's Jalen Hurts. I really like it. Yeah, and then people are asking about who to stack Jalen Hurts with in the in the chat. And to me, it's nobody. Like, I played him naked last week. I'll play him naked again this week. Here's the issue with as much as he runs the ball. He threw the ball 30 times. It's pretty decent last week, but only 167 yards. I don't think he's going to be all that efficient throwing the, throwing the football, at least not at this point in his career. And the other thing also is it's really hard to figure out who is going to be the pass catchers he locks onto in the Eagles' right. offense. Because as, as much as the Eagles don't have, you know, a standout guy, we saw Fulgham play pretty well for a little bit, but he's been ridiculously inefficient over the last month and a half or so. They have a bunch of just, you know, okay-ish wide receivers right now, Fulgham in the mix, uh, Rager, Dallas Goddard at tight end. So there are a lot of guys you could throw the ball to. I don't think there's really one guy that I'm confident stacking him with, but I also don't think you have to because of his rushing upside when he, he's somebody who ran the ball 18 times last week. I'm perfectly fine with running him out there naked. Is there any one of his wide receivers that you do want to stack him with? Yeah, when I was working on the matchups column this week, I didn't expect to see Dallas Goddard pop as much as he did. And the reason is that even though Zach Ertz has returned to the fold, the snap share hasn't changed really for Goddard. He's still playing on 87% of snaps, meaning he's a full-time player. I thought Alshon Jeffrey might eat into some of these snaps uh, as a short area target. And Jeffrey is still obviously coming back from injury, but he is a part-time player playing under 40% of snaps. And we've seen the target totals for Goddard stay pretty high. He had seven targets in week 13 and six targets in week 14. The salary, there's a little bit of sicker shock there. He's the seventh highest tight end, which is a little bit scary, especially with Ertz back in the fold. But I like it. If I'm going to stack anybody, I actually think Dallas Goddard is a fine choice at just 3,900. Uh, he's sixth in expected fantasy points and fifth in points per game and seventh in salary. So the, I, just from that very basic analysis, he is a slight value, although that does include weeks without Ertz and that. 
All right. And then on the other side of the game, uh, it's another guy who it's pretty hard to figure out with Kyler Murray who to stack him with. Uh, I do think if you're going to pick one guy, it's going to be DeAndre Hopkins. We do have him projected as the high, the second highest scoring wide receiver this week behind Calvin Ridley at the moment. Uh, Hopkins, I think that he's somebody who is a viable target on the opposite side of game stacks with Jalen Hurts. Uh, but with that said, I do prefer Calvin Ridley, as I mentioned earlier. So DeAndre Hopkins, not a player that I'm going to be rostering as one-offs, only a game stack play for me. Uh, how do you feel about Hopkins? And are there any of these other Cardinals wideouts that you really, that you really like? Well, I'll answer the second question first. Not really. Again, it's been something we've been saying over and over this season where Kyler Murray is actually on a, a fast team, but a team that runs very often. They rank 10th in the Osmo Advanced Stats tool in the adjusted rush rank. So even though they're known for this air raid mesh offense with Cliff Kingsbury, this progressive offense, the passing game doesn't have a ton of volume. And so the only one you're really interested in is a superstar player like DeAndre Hopkins. And I'm going to repeat myself from a previous show. DeAndre Hopkins isn't being utilized in the Cardinals offense in the way that I would, would have hoped he had been. Yes, we saw some games earlier in the season where he had a huge, huge target totals. But eighth in expected fantasy points per game, that's, again, we're using that as a proxy for volume all year. That's not good enough for a player who's arguably, when healthy, a top two wide receiver in the entire league. Yes, he's still eighth in fantasy points per game, but you have to pay up for him. He's fourth in salary on the main slate, and he looks like the highest owned wide receiver on the slate. I don't see as much certainty as the rest of the field does, apparently, because the matchup against primary receivers for the Eagles has not been one that they've particularly struggled with. They're eighth in the league in fantasy points allowed under expectation to primary wideouts. So I don't see a ton here about Hopkins that makes him this can't-miss play at a high price. Uh, the one player I will mention on the Cardinals that should get some love, especially because Chase Edmonds is banged up, let's look at Kenyon Drake, still in the top 15 in expected fantasy points, outside the top 15 in salary. I know you're not going to stack Murray and Drake because you're just kind of getting, you know, you're lowering your ceiling that way. But I think it's a fine play and um, maybe even a run back in a, in a certain situations. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if you saw this uh, this morning. Kenyon Drake, who, who's befuddled by fantasy football on Twitter, he's like, "What? I people, did. People, he's like, people are doing this to make money." He's like, "How does anybody? How does anybody predict this?" Uh, generally, by not playing Kenyon Drake has been the best way to go bad at this so, so far this year. That's that's been the that's easiest true. way to predict it because <laughs> he's he is wildly inconsistent and difficult to predict. And to his point on, on Twitter, he says. Why would anybody want to, you know, play fantasy football for a living? I'd rather play fantasy football than real football. I'm sitting on my couch. Nobody's tackling me. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't gotten one concussion watching football yet so far this year. I mean, I've gotten yeah. a concussion. Yeah, I've gotten a concussion playing tennis in the past, but that's that's a different story. That's a real dangerous high contact sport, and I got hit in the face with a racket. But but whatever. In in terms of the, in terms I of will the say Cardinals, this though. I just yeah, uh, yeah the the things that people tweet athletes on Sunday afternoon, come on guys. I'm, I'm sure it's not our watchers or listeners. So I'm not, I'm, I'm speaking to the void here, but you know, selling someone that they got, who got injured on Sunday, of course they didn't want to get injured. Telling them they're made of glass is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. And we see like hundreds of tweets to these athletes when they underperform, which is so unnecessary. We can have this game in sport or this sport within a sport without any of that nonsense rant over 
All right, and don't forget, not only do we have football season wrapping up, but the NBA season is about to start. So for $1, if you use the promo code Caruso and you're a new Awesomeo customer, you get all access to our NBA tools up to December 29th. So that'll cover the first week of the NBA season, including ownership projections, our other projections, our, uh, our Slack chat, get access to me. You could come make fun of me in the Slack chat and ask me a bunch of questions. That seems to be something that people like to do. So all that for just a dollar, try out for the first week of the NBA season. And if you like it, then you can re-up. It's a good way to try out the NBA product and see if it's something you're interested in for the rest of the season. And at really no cost, only a dollar using the promo code Caruso for new Awesome subscribers. Uh, two games left on the slate. And this is one that I think is pretty hard to really find uh, too much value from from one side of the game because the Jets are playing the Rams. Rams favored by 17 points. So with that in mind, is there any way to target anything in this game other than the Rams run game? I don't know how you could. I mean, we, Dave and I have been talking about Cam Akers and we were always said he was going to be 0.2% owned. I believe it was three weeks ago. And all we said is just be 5% on him. Just be 10% if you really believe in him. And actually we got called out in chat for it. Uh, someone said that we we're trying to be the smartest one in the room with it. Well, now Cam Akers, another one of these day two darlings, we brought him up all, all day long. He had 32 opportunities last week. He led the league and he absolutely destroyed the Patriots defense. So again, the Jets defense we think is a lot worse than the Patriots unit there. So I think he's going to be a very obvious popular play, but boy, I mean, I completely get it. I, I'm probably going to have some sort of like what we we're talking about in that Chiefs Jets game from earlier in the year. I probably will take some shots on Robert Woods, who's now less expensive than Cooper Cup, just a little bit though. Uh, this passing game could easily have three or four passing touchdowns, and I want to get a part of that as well. Uh, one thing I will mention: it's not a not a superstar play, but Gerald Everett has actually still been utilized, even though Tyler Higby is back in the lineup. I know we don't want to play tight end twos on any team normally, but maybe against the Jets, we could we could make an exception here for Gerald Everett. But like you said, Cam Akers is one of the most exciting players on the slate for me. And just like you said in that game before, he is now priced in the top 10 running backs. I hope you rode the wave and enjoyed the salary discount because it may not happen. Uh, one thing I'll say, you absolutely have to play Cam Akers in cash games this week. I, I think on both sites, FanDuel and DraftKings, not overly expensive, really favorable matchup. The other thing, too, is look at what happened in the Rams last game where they were playing on prime time against the Patriots. Once they got up ahead in that game, they did nothing but run the ball with Cam Akers. So that's really what has me off of the the Rams passing game this week, too, is just because we saw what happened when they had a big lead, they just gave the ball to Cam Akers and Jared Goff wasn't really asked to do anything in the second half. So with that in mind, I think this could be a game where we saw Akers, he ran the ball 29 times that game. They have no problem giving the ball to Cam Akers 30 times if they're up by a million points against the Jets. I'm not sure Jared Goff has to throw the ball once in the fourth quarter. So with, with that in mind, I'm off the Rams pass game. Give me the run game in Cam Akers. And there is nothing else here I'm interested in. Are there any bring back players you like on the Jets? Because that is a fat no for me. Yeah, I... I've said before that it's a little bit exciting that the Jets have this consolidated passing offense. If you look at one of the metrics I look at in the data, deep dive, true weighted opportunity share, they do have a top 10 consolidated offense and they are getting Denzel Mims back. This is a tough, tough defense. You know, this is different than last week, even when I thought there was actually a little bit more upside in the Jets side of the ball, just because the Seattle defense has given up big games to wide receivers. 
I'm I'm in complete agreement here. I'm being very, very cautious, if not avoiding Jets receivers altogether in this terrible matchup. The Rams secondary is one of the strongest in the league. The other thing about the Jets, too, is when, when you talk about a bring back sack, the Jets aren't a team that goes down by 20 and they're like, oh, all right, garbage points. Like, all right, halfback dive with Frank Gore. Let's just get this game to the finish. And, and let's be real. They should. Like, I, I am so high on the 2021 Jets as long as they don't screw up the rest of this season. They need to lose out. They really, it would be in their franchise's best interest to lose out. I'm not saying tank. I'm not saying get hurt. I am saying they really, really could use Trevor Lawrence and a new head coach. And I will be on this team in 2021 if they get both of those things. Yeah, to an extent, except when they're down by 20 in the fourth quarter, you don't need to run the ball to, Jeff, to, to Frank Gore up the middle either. Like, you can still no. run screen play. Like, <laughs> yeah. You can try to score seven points. It's okay to lose by 14, right? Like, the Jets the Jets get down by 20. They're like, all right, this is it. Let's let's pack it in. Let's go home. Uh, so, yeah, that's true. So th- that, that's the thing that really hurts in terms of fantasy production and trying to get those bring back stacks is they get behind and they're just like, screw it. We're playing next week, and and that's it. They just give up halfway through the game. All right, final game on the slate. This is a fun one. The Kansas City Chiefs playing at the New Orleans Saints. And the Saints, it looks like Drew Brees is going to be back. Um, the last I saw, anyways, that he was expected to play. I right think he now, was play. Yeah, yeah right, right now in our projections, we have Taysom Hill as a starting quarterback. Um, I don't think that's accurate. Uh, Chiefs a slight favorite here. Here's the big significance to me with Drew Brees coming back. I like Michael Thomas a lot. I think in terms of wide receivers to pay up for, it's going to be Calvin Ridley as the number one guy for me. And then I'm going to have Michael Thomas right behind him there. Uh, Michael Thomas, it wasn't projected for no ownership, but 11%. I think that's too low. And we consider the 7,200 price tag with Drew Brees. Just go back to a year ago when pretty regularly, uh, Michael Thomas was a guy who was priced over 9,000. And he struggled earlier in the year with, with Drew Brees, except it wasn't really a product of Drew Brees being the quarterback versus Taysom Hill or anything like that. He was hurt, right? That's he right. hurt his ankle. And then when he came back, he was still really slow to get integrated. And even that first game he came back against the, uh, who was it against? It was against the 49ers. They won by, or, or no, it was against the Buccaneers. They won by so many points that he just didn't have to be involved. So I think a lot of people looked at that and they said like, oh, Michael Thomas, not the same player this year that he was a year ago. I don't agree with that. I think it was really a case of he wasn't healthy. There was not good game scripts. Uh, a game against the against the Chiefs, they're going to have to throw the ball a ton. I think Michael Thomas sees double-digit targets. He is definitely somebody who I want to pay up for on the slate. He's somebody I'm going to be massively overweight to the field on. Uh, how do you feel about Michael Thomas? Hey, I love that. I love that call. And let's be real. Is there a game that we think has a higher probability of having 80 points scored than this game, especially if Drew Brees plays? Let's just fundamentally think about what we would have thought about this game at the beginning of the season, assuming health for Patrick Mahomes and his main weapons and Drew Brees and his main weapons. We would have said this is the all-star blowout shootout game of the year in the Dome in New Orleans. So I'm going to primary wide receivers if I can get them. We've already talked about Travis Kelsey being a really strong value, although very expensive. I want as many pieces from this game as I can possibly fit into my tournament rosters michael thomas yes he's up over 7200 again but again comparing him fundamentally to what we thought he was going to be they're not that different than the saints at the beginning of the year that we thought they were going to be at this point but his salary is so i think we should take advantage of that we should assume that there's a huge possibility that he gets double digit targets in this game 
that they're going to need to come back or at least keep pace with the high-flying Chiefs. And yeah, Kamara is certainly more, or actually he's almost the same price Thomas is as Kamara. I'm seeing that Kamara is 7,400 and Thomas is 7,200. You're probably going to have to make a choice between the two, but I like Thomas more in this matchup. Absolutely. And then one thing for clarification, because it got brought up in the uh, Slack chat. So Drew Brees was activated from injured reserve. Uh, He did practice, but it still is up in the air whether he plays or not. It seems like there's still a pretty good chance that he doesn't end up playing. Uh, I just saw that he was activated and was assuming that he maybe had a little bit better of a chance, but it's still still up in the air uh, whether he ends up playing or not. And I'm saying that if he's in, then I would like Michael Thomas more. And then there would be a little more interest in Alvin Kamara too, because he's basically been a zero in the passing game with Taysom Hill, a quarterback, and we would expect him to uh, regain his normal passing role should Drew Brees be there. So that's just something to keep an eye on, whether Drew Brees ends up playing or not. I still think it's a little bit up in the air, uh, but Sean Payton's comments weren't necessarily encouraging. Uh, From the Chiefs side of the game, um, what do you see here? Because I think that, you know, Tyree Kill, 8,800, to me that's a very steep price to pay for him at wide receiver then tight end Travis Kelsey 8,000 we touched on him a little bit I think the issue I just have with Kelsey is the opportunity cost like I said earlier so in cash games if you have the space to get up for Travis Kelsey certainly by all means roster him I don't think you have to play him this week at his price tag though yeah I think that's fair and the Saints are a strong defense despite giving up a huge they lost to the Jalen Hurts led Eagles and they gave up a huge game to Miles Sanders who was the primary weapon in that game for the Eagles by far, they're still sixth in the league in fantasy points allowed under expectations to tight ends. And if you look at wide receivers, they're second in the league in fantasy points allowed under expectations to primary wide receivers. Now, we saw a terrible game by Patrick Mahomes standards last week, and he still threw for almost 50 yards more than any quarterback on the slate. And if you're using an optimizer like Fantasy Cruncher, I take time out of every part of my week when I'm building lineups is I just lock in Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill and just let the optimizer explore because it's worth it to see what you can do, what values you can get, because the upside is tremendous. I've already said this on this week's show, but if you look at our top stacks tool, the probability of Mahomes stacks being the highest, the highest total in fantasy production on a week is almost double every other team. And so if we're saying there's a huge shootout potential in this game, the game could easily hit the over, especially if Drew Brees plays this game. It's not out of the question if Hill plays, but I think that we could absolutely see more scoring with Brees on the field. That means the Chiefs need to keep on scoring, and we kind of know where that's coming from. Yes, you could get cute and say Sammy Watkins, but he's still not a full-time player. I'm really looking to fit Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill on to tournament lineups just because the upside is unparalleled. Yeah, we've got people in the chat asking, what about Sammy Watkins? What about McCall Hardman? Uh, you could certainly make the case for upside for them, but I also have to say, I, I don't think I'm going to get exposure to either of them this week, which makes it hard for me to recommend them as plays because if I'm going to build my lineups and I come out with these guys at 0% or 1% of exposure to them in my lineups, I can't go out and say that they're great plays because I'm not playing them. So I think that's where I'm going to be at this week is is there's other cheap guys that I'm going to want exposure to. And the other thing, too, on Sammy Watkins, he's 4,600. So it's not like he's a guy in the the 3K price range or anything like that. And then also you look at his targets and and his overall production in the last few weeks. I mean, he's scored under 10 fantasy points in each of the last three weeks. The game before that, he had scored exactly 10 and then seven the game before. 
it's not like he's been a good fantasy player. So I'm fine with not rostering. The production hasn't been there for him. Yeah, and I was looking at some of the stats from last week too, where it looks like Sammy Watkins and Demarcus Robinson, there's one or the other on the field right now. Looking at PFF's shadow coverage matrix, (laughs) Byron Jones uh, from the Miami Dolphins last week actually ranked out as shadowing both Watkins and Robinson for a majority of the game. And that means that only one of them was on the field. So that Jones basically had that third wide receiver duties. So I guess if we're deciding between the three of those players, those uh, auxiliary weapons for the Chiefs, my favorite would be Hardman. But he needed special teams play to have a huge week. Uh, We've seen huge, huge variance in his usage. And sometimes he's just not involved in the game plan at all. And he's a player who's 65th in expected fantasy points per game. Now, we know he has upside in a strong matchup. Or, or we expect a lot of points to be scored. The defense actually is pretty strong for New Orleans. Uh, I want primary weapons for Patrick Mahomes if I'm going to this game on that side. Yeah, the other thing too is, I mean, there are some other cheaper wide receivers that we talked about in, in that in that price range. You know, like Kiki Kuti is, is around that salary. If you want to go cheaper, there's Lynn Bowden that we talked about. There's, I mean, Jacoby Myers, who's the same price range also. There's Russell Gage, who I think is a much better chance of success also. So there's enough wide receivers in that range where it's like, I don't, I don't have to get to Sammy Watkins. There's no reason for me to jam him into lineups. So with that said, that brings the show to a wrap. Matt, we made it through. We talked about football for almost two hours here. So that's all good. Uh, guys, don't forget, use the promo code Caruso if you want to try out the NBA product. Only a dollar you get access to it through December 29th. Try it out for the first week of the regular season. Also do us a favor, like the video, subscribe to the podcast network, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Find out when all of our information is going live by hitting the notification bell. So Jordan, play us out with that sweet Christmas music. Happy holidays, y'all.